At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Email from training camp on found like 700 different ways to call Robert Williams soft. Like he did. He was, <laughs> he kept saying like things like Robert's got to be tougher. Got to play. Like even when you weren't asking about Robert Williams pain tolerance, Ime would bring up Robert Williams playing through pain. Like he would find a way to weave that into a discussion about Robert Williams. Hello and welcome to Take Line. We've got a wonderful show lined up for you today. The NBA Finals are going on. The Golden State Warriors just defeated the Boston Celtics by a lot in Game 2. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated will join us to help us unpack uh, Game 2 and the rest of the series as the final heads back to Boston. And to join us today to talk about everything on this podcast from what we thought of Draymond Green to what's going on uh, with the Celtics to Take Survivor. His NBA analysis is amazing. His movie analysis is incredible. His ad reads, this is the thing I tell him offline on our text thread all the time. Zach Harper is like first team all NBA at ad reads on his podcast is a truly great thing to observe. He is the athletic Zach Harper. Zach, how are you? I'm excellent. I appreciate the kind words, especially about the ad reads. Um, It's in my head now. Every time I get down, I recorded two this morning. For the pod that I recorded before I joined you, and I thought like Jason's listening, like I know Jason's I lo- not skipping ahead thirty seconds, and so now I'm just like I'm it's not. in my head where I'm like I have to tell you the best way to get a car insurance quote, like I just have to, like, and I've got to make it, I've got to make it, make you feel it. I legit, and this is not bullshit. I sit there and I go, "Wow, Zach does this so naturally. He does this so great. You feel like he's not just reading it." How I sit there and I listen to all your ad reads and I'm like picking them apart and being like, what, what is where's what move can I steal from Zach's bag and add to my bag when I'm doing my ad reads? There's one I won't say the sponsor because I don't want to I don't want to get yeah, 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 in yeah. trouble. There's a sponsor <laughs> recently that it's just the worst copy possible. Like it is the worst copy possible, and they're like, make it sound natural. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like this is horrible. None of this is natural, and that's truly my challenge of like, okay, I got to stop Steph Curry in the third quarter with this ad read. Like, that's what I have to do. Well, joining us, Zach, to help us in this block, just unpack the the Warriors 120-108 demolition of the Boston Celtics, our uh, super producers, Zuri, Irvin, and Ryan Wallison. Uh, fellas, how are you? I'm good. You know, as the guy who rewrites ad copy for Jason, I'm very self-aware now. I don't know <laughs> what kind of job I'm doing, but uh, Jason, thank you for picking up the slack. We can, we Jason's got. are really good. Yeah. Jason's are really good. Like, I don't want to just focus on me here. Jason's he's very really modest. Good. If you're yeah, part of that, Zuri, like, that. I mean, good job. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. I appreciate that. 
Jason, you take them and you make them your own. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I also like when you borderline shit on the copy. That's my move. That's a little bit of my a little bit of my brand is like, what are we wait, hold on. What are we what are we what are we saying here? The we, Draymond we can, Green of ad of ad reading. Yeah, right well, <laughs> it's, it's tough love. It's tough love. He wants to I'm just be trying better. to help them out because right. I believe so much in the product and the service. Yeah. And whatever it is. That's how much like I'm just trying to improve their game for them. Uh, you know who improved their game is the is the Golden State Warriors, Whoa. who upped the physicality. Um, really didn't do anything that different, other than say we paid attention to uh, what happened in Boston's series against Miami. Their even their series against the Bucks, and even the way they've played all regular season. And we're gonna, you know, we understand that they are a incredible defense of. Big physical guys. It's hard to find a weak link in the chain. And so we need to find those easy points. We need to force turnovers. We need to swipe at the ball the way Miami did when they went and and got games off the Boston Celtics. And they did that. Uh, they uh, forced a bunch of turnovers that turned into live ball turnovers that turned into a Warriors blowout. Um, and initial reactions to what you saw. Uh, let's start with you, Zach. I actually like the strategy they had in game one of like, make these other guys beat us. And then it worked yeah. right for the Celtics. Right. Like they beat right. them and it was Al Horford was like, okay, yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say, say less. Like I'll do it. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then, and then in game two, they tightened up a lot. I mean, Al Horford, like every time he caught the ball on the perimeter, what had no chance of putting up a three point, Absolutely right? Like, zero like chance. they yeah. did a great job of closing on that and making that more difficult. And the Celtics still shot well from three. They just, they just didn't bomb on them all, all day. And it's just, man, we, and we've gone through this with the Warriors a bunch in the past, especially in like key playoff moments. The Celtics just got so reckless with the ball. I mean, they're just handing it to the Warriors time after time. And I like that. I don't even know if that's a sign of, of inexperience in the finals or youth because it's been a problem for them for a long time. And it's still a problem for the Warriors. It's kind of who they are, right? I think for both teams, the Celtics in particular, they're just, they're an incredible defensive team that is imperfect on offense and particularly in close games or games that are slipping away is a team that presses and makes bad decisions in tight spots offensively and will take wild, uh, you know, under duress long twos that they shouldn't, will throw the pass that they shouldn't, will throw the cross court pass that they shouldn't and will just get in trouble. That's who they've been, not just this season, but kind of for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does Jalen Brown just need more ball handling drills? I feel like that's one of the... He dribbles a football. He dribbles, he dribbles a football. A football. <laughs> like it, it, I mean, yeah. it's Paul George went through the same thing. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins went through the same Like, it's just, it's bizarre to watch him dribble basketball. Yeah. Also, I was struck by how much attention Steph garnished, in the, at least in the first half of this game. It seemed like he had to beat two and three defenders on his way to the paint, whether he's going to distribute or looking to get a shot for himself. I know that's, I mean, Jay, uh, Jay, you mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we're not surprised, but um, he's a beast. <laughs> well, Steph, well I, I didn't want to get into this, but I guess since you brought it up, I will. I've been really absolutely amused by the Warriors, like, framing the discussion around the KD years constantly like reframing the narrative. (laughs) This was always Steph's team. Even when KD was here, like it always went through Steph. Like, yeah, we know. Why are you saying this? Like, this is some fucking revelation. 
we get it. Like, we've always known that. Yeah. Why are you acting like this is new information? At this point, they almost hate the fact that KD has warrior rings and wants yeah, to, like, yeah, yeah. just Absolutely. disassociate his usefulness to the team's championships as much as possible. That seems to be where we are. It's not that he broke up with them. It's that he broke up with them for Kyrie, right? Like, that's yeah, the, right, that's, yeah. where, that's where their issue is. It's that it's not like, all right, you don't want to be in this relationship anymore. That's fine. But don't go with that guy. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Like, you can't you can't do that. But it's funny because Sam Amick had uh, had an interview with Andre Iguodala. I, thank you for bringing this up because I, yeah. I didn't want to do it. But you go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you know, at the athletic, subscribe to the athletic. Yeah. Uh, you keep me, keep me employed. The great Sam uh, Amick, by the way. Yeah, the great, great Sam Amick. Sam's fantastic, and he and he's you know he's got Andre's ear, and Andre Andre will talk to him, and so Andre's very honest in a very short like interview where it's like, hey man, uh, you know we've talked about these finals MVPs before, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, but like Andre's like, I mean I earned mine, but yes, Steph should absolutely have one, <laughs> not mine, but he should have one, like. <laughs> There's been a lot of conversation as the Steph legacy talk has really ramped up, right? Uh, you know, through the yeah. Western Conference Finals and now into the finals. There's been a, a lot of relitigation about Andre Iguodala's finals MVP, okay? Uh, for it, Windhorst on his pod was saying this is a great example of people being too smart in the moment and, <laughs> and, and uh, doing a thing that now looks silly. And so the Sam Amick came out and, and wrote an article that was a little... A little touchy, honestly. Honestly, he uses the word irked, like in the second or third yeah. paragraph, just about him having to, like, being questioned on this vote. He did vote for uh, Andre, and he says in the piece that he'd that he'd do it again. Here's the thing that tickles me about the Andre Iguodala article. Sam Amick pressed because he voted for Andre Iguodala, and now that's being relitigated. Decides, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's Let's get an unbiased opinion. I'm going to interview the guy who I voted for finals MVP and who who won it and ask him his opinion on me voting for him for finals MVP. And let's get let's see if he thinks he should still be finals MVP. It's like, yeah, he's going to like, of course, he's going to be like, yeah, I should. Yeah, that was that was fine. That was legit. Of course, Sam, this is what he's going to say. I I vehemently disagree with everyone who voted in that series. I Here's look. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I and I, I I love and respect many of the people that voted on that that award. I do too. And, and by the way, I understand where they were coming from at the time. I don't. I um, <laughs> I, I look. the The move was halfway through the series, three games yeah. into the series, into a six game series. Steve Kerr put Andre Iguodala in the starting lineup for Andrew Bogut. Right? Like, right. just said, look, we're going right. small. We're going to be new age and all that bullshit. And LeBron in the first three games averaged like 40 points a game on 40.3% from the field. And then in the last three games, he averaged like 32 points a game on 39.3% yeah. from the, from the field. Like it, there wasn't a huge change other than like Andre kind of, I mean, and Andre played great, but it's not like he, he played wasn't great. playing in the first three games. Like right. he, like he, he played great, but LeBron was a monster because he had to be a monster. This, when all things are considered equal, Steph put someone in the hospital from guarding him. That yeah. should be a tiebreaker. Yeah, right. He put Delhi in the hospital from exhaustion. Yeah. And I, the Cavs are like, well, it's it's the coffee that he's drinking. No! It's <laughs> a, you had to chase Steph around for 42 minutes. You can't do that and live. I, I That's the that should always be the tiebreaker. Did I hospitalize someone? I'm the fucking MVP of this series. We vilify the the Iguodala MVP, but I think just as 
questionable as the second Durant MVP. Sure. Because once he once he gets the first one, then you know that Iguodala has when you know that Durant has, when you know that this is the Warriors' third and they haven't given one to Steph. And, what and you're you giving the second one to KD. The, well, I think that's where the balance goes. I don't from. I I actually disagree because it's like KD was amazing. Like on both ends, like he was like offense and defense. He was a defense like difference maker. We forget like he was like blocking shots yeah. and shutting sure. guys up. Yeah. Like it's really the Iguodala one is crazy. Like but what are we two, doing? There are two well, things that are that are messed up about that, right? There are two yeah. things that are messed up about that. Is one the the second one for Katie was a sweep. What are you doing? I Tony Parker got yeah, one that's, for, that's, sweep, that's, for sweeping yeah, the Cavs, yeah, right? Like yeah, yeah. Th- that. You can give it to of, whoever that, you want. Kind you of. could, yeah. You could. You yeah, could yeah. Give it to Patrick McCaw for like winning <laughs> another title. Like you, you could do anything at that point. Um, so that kind of messes it up. In in the 2017 one, I was there when the, when it happened. There is a play on a fast break that's infamous now, where Kevin Durant is bringing the ball down the middle of the floor, and three defenders run to Steph, who doesn't have the ball, and then KD just gets a wide open dunk like that. Should also be a tiebreaker. Like they, they both yes. played really well, and KD well, deserved one of those Finals MVPs. But Steph should have I, one, and I don't blame Steph. Here's the other thing for the 2015 NBA Finals MVP: <laughs> it was seven four, and yeah. the four were for LeBron. Steph didn't get a lost. vote. Steph didn't he didn't get a, get a vote. vote. Yeah, four people went with the 1969 Jerry West move, <laughs> which was let's be real about that Jerry West winning the Finals MVP despite the. Uh, the Lakers losing in seven to the Boston Celtics. That was really, and West was amazing. Like, if you look at the stats, West was incredible. Sure. That was really like, we feel so bad for this guy. Like, <laughs> you know, that's what that was. I'm okay that with that. Was, this, guy is, this guy has been knocking his head against the Boston Celtics his whole career. He may not ever get one. And he looks legitimately like he wants to throw himself into the ocean. And yeah. he played great. And uh, and just give it to him because this guy's gonna gonna drink a bottle of arsenic after this. Is the voting system broken? I mean, there's 11 national reporters that vote on this. Should there be like a fan vote, or like should the players vote on this as well, or is it no. keep keep it as is? I kind of like player voting. I kind of like player voting. No, because then Sa- Sam Hauser's gonna get a vote for this. Like these finals, <laughs> like it's gonna you can't do player voting. All right, we can't do that. Um, look. Honestly, Adam Silver just needs to grow up and make the yeah, pick. Yeah. Mm. Like, this, to, like yeah, that's yeah. that's something where because he's talked about like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't think it's sh- you know, voting should come from the league front office, and I sort of get that to a degree, but nobody likes the media voting. Nobody wants the players voting. We cannot trust the fans, otherwise, Zaza Pachulia yeah. is going to somehow <laughs> win this final MVP. Right, right. Like, we can't do that, and so. Like I like there's just something where if you have issues with all this voting, then there's gonna be a certain point where it's like the league just needs to take it over. Yeah. And I'm a vo- I like I'm a voter for the regular season awards. I love doing it. I think it's super cool that I get to like I get to nerd out and do yeah. all that shit. But ultimately, like if the league was like, no, we don't trust you anymore, I'd be like, I get it. Like I yeah, I get it. I saw I saw <laughs> I the cage movie six <laughs> times in the theater. Like I get that like, you want to trust my you don't want to trust my judgment. I'm I'm in. Like <laughs> we need to talk about Draymond. So uh, Draymond got another tech. Um, and then as he has done, I think it's his like fourth or fifth, I forget. Um, it's in the postseason, and as he has done all postseason, he uses that tech as like a watermark mm-hmm. to tell him how intense he can play post that tech. 
and push it right to the edge of the envelope, which he, and he's, you know, screaming, elbowing guys, the physical stuff, moving screens, everything, the classic Draymond experience. Steve Javi uh, at, you know, at one point after Jalen Brown and, uh, and Draymond got tied up and uh, Jalen fell on Dre a little bit. And then, you know, Draymond took exception and the whole thing they had to be separated. Um, Steve Javi then came out and said, Hey, you know how we uh, usually in the regular season, this would be a double tech, but, because Draymond has one, uh, you know, the refs want to be cognizant of the situation. The fact that this is the finals is a big spot. You don't want to just eject someone. So they didn't. Um, and then this was a topic of conversation all throughout social media. Um, people were, you know, pretty, uh, pretty up in arms about this. And then after the game, Draymond uh, says to uh, Malika Andrews, hold on, let me get the exact quote because it's it's so... It's so nuts. Here it is. Okay. Uh, it's the, and this is, so here is Draymond. Quote, it's the NBA finals. Like I said, I wear my badge of honor. It's not that I'm saying they necessarily treat me different. I've earned deferential treatment. I enjoy that. I embrace that. It's, I have never, it's what, I, I agree actually with what Javi said. I know the people, that's a little controversial, but we want refs to not throw out stars and important players and to let swallow the whistle a little bit and let them play. That's how it's always been done. And the fact that he said it does not change the fact that that's how it's always been done. It is crazy to me that Draymond Green gets up after the game during the NBA finals and says, I get special treatment. It's awesome. It's so cool. <laughs> I've earned it. It's, it's so good. You guys like it's actually great. No follow, and there's no follow up. <laughs> What's happening to the reporter core out here? Listen. Oh my god. I, I NBA reporters, you gotta follow this one up. You gotta be like, hold on, whoa, 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 can we back up? How specifically do you get deferential? Like, we somebody's gotta follow us up. It's crazy to me that he said this and we didn't get any follow ups. It's crazy. As a former journalist, I completely agree. I understand even in the NBA finals how these press conferences work. You're doing a bunch of things at once because you're on a yeah. deadline. Yeah. Like when it's not your question being asked, when it's not like your specific angle that you're hunting, like maybe you're not paying as much attention, but that's one of those things that has to like send a spark through your ear. Like, wait, what? No, I need another one for that. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the fact that it didn't happen for anybody is just, it's odd. So <laughs> let me, let me explain. Cause I'm with you. Like I'm, very upset at the media for not following up on this, but let me explain the situation. I've been in that NBA finals press yep. conference room and I've been the one asking the next question, not after a, something like that, but there are two people in the room that have microphones on an extendo like rods. Right. And so they're like, Oh, that guy's <laughs> answering that, that. She's going to ask the next question. Right. Like this one's third in line. Like they're pointing out, they're doing all kinds of like Navy seal signals and stuff throughout, throughout the thing. And so, they're standing there and they've got the microphone sort of near your face, but it's not hot yet. They haven't turned it on yet, but you're just kind of like, you're, you're like a uh, Marla Hooch in a league of their own. Like you're stepping <laughs> in and out of the batter, batter's box, like yeah. just trying to figure out like, all right, this is my turn to talk. No, not, not yet. Is it hot yet? No. Okay. I don't want to breathe into this microphone and make it weird. Like, I don't want to, you know, do this. And so then like, you're just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. You're looking at the person to like give you the head nod that yes, we're live now. Like you, it's your turn. And so then I'm sure there's a lot going through your head as Ryan mentioned, like, you know, you're trying to write on deadline and you got all this yep. stuff, but there's still got to be a point where he's like, it's awesome. It, it, like it, 
one to say I get special treatment. That should that should do it. But when he then goes, it's awesome that you just your question on like so the corner three point the corner three point defense tonight. You're like, how did you guys adjust? Like, hey. fuck that. No one cares. No one wants your basketball strategy. Like, you have an obligation to now say, I'm sorry. What's that? Like that at, at worst, that should be your question. It's like he fell in the mud, and then it's like you don't know if it's a mistake or not. But then he started rolling. Yeah. <laughs> And at this that is, point, you have to inquire. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing where, again, I have I have actually no problem necessarily with the way Draymond is officiated. I, I don't yeah. actually have a problem with what Javi said. I don't have a problem with functionally how it works. This is this is how we want it to work always. Um, I just can't believe that he said that out loud. And if I was if I'm Steve Kerr, I'm like, yo, hey, like. We're getting, we're getting away with it, man. Like, don't, it, as my friend Justin uh, uh, Halford texted me last night, it's like walking into the IRS and saying, hey, I cheat on my taxes. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right. See you later. <laughs> well, you know, it depends how rich you are. What, what, what about the, the macro view of, he's got four and 18 games in the, po- in the postseason. If it's seven, then that's the automatic suspension. Is there a problem there? Like, I know we didn't want him to be kicked out of the game last night, but. It also would have had um, it had ramifications for the rest of the series if he is assessed another tech and is on that track towards seven. Yeah, do you th- so four and seventeen games, right? I think he's played yeah. seventeen games. So four and seventeen games, can he get to three in the next two to three games, right? Like that's the cause then who cares if it gets to game seven, he's got six, who gives a shit? Like just yeah. go go get that extra one and get you know, ring night, you're not allowed to play. Whatever. <laughs> like you'll show yeah, up yeah, anyway yeah. and get your ring. Like, <laughs> Like like that point, but yeah, what what I love about the rule, is, and I, it's, it's, I don't want to distract from what your question is because your question is very valid. But the rule is seven years suspended, but at five you get a warning. Yeah, I just love it the idea of official a, league warning, like on letterhead from Adam Silver, or from Kiki Vanaway, or whoever. It's just like, hey, Draymond, uh, just so you know, you've got five technical fouls now, and I just want I want Draymond to like frame that and put it in his home next to the like the trophies and the rings and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that they, there needs to be, I don't know, lower it to six. I do think that there needs to be, it can't be that the first tech just doesn't matter. You know, like there's gotta be some way that it actually does matter or else, uh, you know, and uh, Draymond is, listen, Draymond's a brilliant guy. And part of, part of why he has been so impactful over the course of his career is he really is thinking about the game and the loopholes in the game and the various, um, you know, uh, ways he can disrupt the game on a level that we've not quite seen brilliantly, you know, at this level of brilliance before. Like his ability to guard two guys, I think, is a kind of like physical manifestation of this at any one time. And then... You know, his ability to say, great, I got that first tech. That means I've got a long leash now and I'm going to go. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to scream at guys. I'm going to be putting elbows into guys' necks when we're standing at the free throw line. I'm going to call Grant Williams a fucking bozo. I'm going to turn to the crowd and yell, this guy's a fucking bozo. I'm going to do all of it. And and, and I love it. I think... Part of what is hard for people is we've never seen someone be so self-aware of the dynamic before and right. exploit it so well. That's the thing. What if you get your second tech in a game 
Your team has to play with four players for the next two minutes. I love that. Yeah, like a penalty box. Uh-huh. Yes, love that. Absolutely. I love that idea. And we can also talk about how good that would be for like broadcasting because you know the camera, they would have like a penalty box camera on like yeah. Raymond or, yeah. you know, on Marcus Smart. I think it'd be awesome. Sit him next to Drake. Yeah. This puts the league in a bad spot. No, this comment, like, it yeah, for sure. Kind of forces Absolutely. their hand a little bit because the last thing you really like, this is where the narrative becomes a little bit corrosive. ABC already ran a clip package during the game of all the, you know, Draymond like acting like a lead blocker in the NFL out there <laughs> and kind of and the moving screens, which is again par for the course. Everybody's doing that right now. But to have that clip package out there and then have Draymond go like, yeah, that's great. I get the, I get, I get special treatment. It feels like he's basically begging them to now pull the trigger and throw him out. No. Yeah. Well, so I wonder, I wonder how much of the, cause when he got suspended in 2016, it was flagrant foul points, right? It wasn't, right. it wasn't text. It was flagrant foul right. points. He'd reached like, I think you get four or something like that. Yeah. And, and then you get suspended. So it wasn't like an accumulation of technical fouls. It's still a similar thing, but I wonder if almost he's like, look, I've, this has happened before. They're never going to let it happen again. Because look yeah. at what, like, it costs us a yeah, championship, yeah. all this stuff, even though you lost two games with you on the court. But, like, I do, I, I think it puts them in a terrible position. I wonder if it brings an actual move by the league to do something about it, or is this going to result in, like, a two-minute report-style transparency of nothing? Right, because a two-minute report doesn't do anything. You don't get anything back. Like, and and there that was a reaction to Tim Donahue like gambling yeah. on games and stuff. This yeah. isn't this isn't that, but it's also like, yeah, the, there is special treatment. Like we've known it forever. I know I get it. Fucking great. Like I'm all in on this. I think I've earned it and all this stuff. And now the league. I mean, they probably have to like eject him from a game in this series. Yeah. Right. It feels like they kind of have to now. And that, but then that puts them, that, the crazy thing about that is that puts them in even more hot water because then it's, well, now you're proving a point rather right. than just officiating things the way we want to be efficient. Like it just, it's just a bad spot in general. It's a bad spot. Yeah. Once again, the NBA needs to stop giving a shit what Twitter says. Like they, like they've just cared way too, like they're great at social media, but they need to stop caring what Twitter says about the league and just keep going. It's 10,000 people. Uh, well, to help us uh, unpack this series from the Celtics perspective uh, will be joined by Chris Maddox of Sports Illustrated up next. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of Still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Uh, joining us now is Chris Mannix, writer for Sports Illustrated, who uh, has been following and reporting on the Boston Celtics for a long, long time. He's also the host of the Crossover NBA show. Uh, Chris, welcome to Take Line. Thanks for having me. Chris, Golden State uh, 107, uh, Celtics 88, Game 2. 
the Warriors really upped the level of physicality. Turnover battle was pretty decisive in this one, much like the Miami series. Um, what What's the mood around the Celtics after game two? Uh, I mean, look, disappointed uh, for sure. I think there were a lot of people there that believed they had a legitimate chance of taking two in Golden State after that first one. Um, and, you know, the way the game started, it sure looked like they – they were going to be in that position. They were flying around defensively, uh, making shots. Jalen Brown got hot right off the bat. Yep. But I just, these third quarters, I, we need like a, a deep study on why the Celtics, <laughs> why they can't get anything going in the third quarter. I mean, this is a relatively new phenomena for Boston. Mm-hmm. Like in, in the regular season, they were actually like plus 2.7 in the third quarter. In the playoffs, in the totality of it, they're minus, but they're like minus 0.08. But like, look at some of these clunkers, whether it was the third quarter of, what was it, game three of the conference semis against Milwaukee, where they had yep. the doors blown off, game one against Miami, and then these last two, like they're, it's just inexplicable. Like you almost want Ime Udoka to go way outside the box and be like, guys, instead of going into halftime to make adjustments, we're going to watch CeeLo Green perform and, and <laughs> yeah. see what's, what's happening and see how that goes and just forget everything else because it's not working. Like, they're coming out completely flat and they're getting blown out. I mean, they were able to rally in, in game one, of course, but it was 23 points at the end of the third yeah. quarter in game two, which meant it was Sam Hauser time uh, about yeah. eight minutes into that game. So it, it this, that's the biggest thing the Celtics know they have to fix. Like, how do we stop just laying a big fat egg every third quarter. I'm not fully convinced that Sam Hauser is a real person, but you, you, you know, I, like I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced. Like you can show him, you can show me all the identification necessary. I'm, I just don't believe it. A great story that I'm not going to have time to do that somebody should do is like, so the Celtics roll like eight deep with guys that can really play like really yeah. good players, maybe even nine. Yeah. If you want to throw kind of Daniel Tice into that mix, he's getting sure. minutes in this series. The last four guys, like, if you saw them walking down the street, you wouldn't know who they were. It's like right. Sam Hauser, Matt Ryan, I mean, just uh, uh, yeah. the one that looks like Zeller, like one of the Zellers, but he's not. It's, it's just... These are real-life players. Yeah. Uh, it's like when you play a 2K season, like, out to 2035. This is yeah. what happens. This yeah. is the real-life version of that. Well, it's like yeah, it's you, like that Wahlberg movie, The Other Guys. It's like they're the other guys. Yeah, it's yeah. Like you're the, you're so. they actually have a hilarious story going on at all times. We just never get to see them because we're focused yeah. on The Rock and Sam Jackson. Like that's what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris. Like it, I'm I'm fascinated by the third quarter thing. I actually thought in Game Two, the Warriors had learned their lesson from Game One because the Celtics actually kind of fought back at the end of the third quarter in game one, right? To make it a little bit more manageable. And then they shoot out in the, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And now we've got a game. The Warriors seem to like, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to do this. Like, we're going to keep going, keep going. They push it 20. Jordan Poole hits that ridiculous half-court shot. And then the first couple minutes, or the first, like, minute of the fourth quarter, Warriors go on, like, a 6-0 run because the Celtics were just still sloppy. Like, do you think the Celtics now, like, recognize, like, this whole winning the third quarter like you don't have to win the third quarter you just have to like not be historically awful right (laughs) they they absolutely realize that whether they can do anything about it is remains to be seen i mean golden state all season the numbers say they're a great third quarter team so it's kind of like you know two things colliding that turn out bad uh for boston but look they know they have to fix the third quarter that's the obvious thing 
But the turnovers just kill them. Every game they're yeah. in where they commit that many turnovers, 19 turnovers in game two, 33 points for Golden State. I mean, they've had, there's a straight line during these playoffs between high turnover games and losses. Yep. Like, it's just as simple as that. So if they can just stop drop kicking the ball around um, as often as they are, I mean, in the first quarter, you knew it was something bad was coming because there were a couple of times where like, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown just couldn't connect, and they were giving each other these kind of like perplexed, like hands up looks, yeah. like mm-hmm. like what is what does this happen? And so you knew that you were headed towards something of a of a sloppy game. But that's that's the big statistic for the Celtics. I mean, Ime, God love Ime. He, he's the most like honest forthright coach I've ever covered. He really is. Like it's actually notable. I can't remember the last time I heard a coach say some of the things that he's like, he'll just legitimately goes, yeah, that guy's not playing well. So we're going after him. Like I, I, you don't hear that. I wouldn't, I think, I think you also don't have a whole lot of coaches who have beat up an arena before. Right. Like, (laughs) so I think like when you get to that point, you just get to say whatever you want. I, I, you know, I talked to email about it this week. Um, and we were kind of talking about where it comes from. And I'm like, did you get it from pop? Like you, you're, you Mm -hmm. cut your teeth as an assistant coach under pop who can be blunt at times. He's like, Look, Pop probably gave me validation for doing it. Like, you know, he made me believe I should do it, but this is just me. Like, I'm I'm just a blunt guy, and I tell it how it is. And, I mean, I go back to when they were really struggling the first two months of the season. And I remember, and I do TV for NBC Sports in Boston, and I remember just sitting up there in the post-game show after Emei interviews, just being like, wow, like, this guy's <laughs> never going to survive. Like, he is straight napalming his team after losses, and that's just not going to go over well with a locker room. But it has, and that's why... That's why, you know, to circle it back to the series, that's why I give the Celtics a good chance to respond because they are so much more mentally tough this year than they were mm-hmm. in years past. They have been able mm-hmm. to bounce back from bad moments in these playoffs to win, and that's largely because of everything they've done during the regular season to get them to this point, to toughen them up in ways he may have toughened them up. The Warriors made some adjustments after game one. Uh, Draymond on on Jalen Brown was a was a show within itself. We could talk about that uh, more in depth right after this. Gary Payton coming in to be intense at the point of attack, um, and it's really it, like for me when I boil down the series, it's the Celtics defense and the fact that they can they can kind of slow down the Warriors and the Warriors d- depending on lineups, especially in Game One, didn't seem like they could stop the Celtics when it when they needed to. And then the Celtics iffy decision making on on offense, which has been a bugaboo all season. What adjustments can he may make going back to Boston for game three? Well, I mean, he now that he knows that Draymond is gonna get a lot of those reps on Jalen Brown, you can adjust accordingly. You've got to kind of mix that up and get Jalen to more screens. Jalen loves to kind of stare you down and go to the rim and that's not a good strategy against Draymond. You can do it maybe against Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson and some of the guys that might be guarding him, but you've got to find ways to wriggle free and create some of those mismatches there. Um, you know, Al Horford was disappointing in game two as well. I think he only had his first bucket in the third quarter. Um, you've got to find a way to get him more involved offensively. But, you know, for Ime, and I, I know these Celtics, like, and what they're doing on the flight back today, like, they're just rewatching all these turnovers. I mean, like, guys, 11, 19 turnovers, 11 live ball turnovers. Like, those are the kind of turnovers that just kill you. So I think the biggest adjustment is just making sure you take care of the ball. Because if they had taken care of the ball better in that third quarter, I don't know if it would have been a different outcome because Golden State was so good in that period, but it would have certainly changed the whole dynamic of that game. So, I look, I know there are little things you do, but... 
as much as basketball is about adjustments and it's about the nuances of it, don't turn the ball over. Like, that's kind of what it boils down to a lot. Don't turn the ball over. Or if you're going to turn the ball over, throw it into the stands. Don't let yes. them, like, get a fast break <laughs> yeah, right, opportunity, yeah. right? Like, just, <laughs> yeah. like... <laughs> I like the email like kind of reads from his own advanced stats, like at press conferences too. He's like 11 live ball term. He's like, he has the stat sheet in front of him. Then like, he's got his own stat sheet. He's like, he's, he's giving up what his own coaches are kind of telling him. Like, don't do the 11 live ball turnovers and you won't lose quite as badly. All I care about, honestly, is just the Draymond stuff. Like the Dray the Draymond, <laughs> the Draymond, like him just coming out saying, yeah, I get special, special treatment. What of it? Like, yeah. that's how it should be. I've earned it. Right. Like, um, obviously the Celtics are super frustrated by by Draymond's behavior in game two. I also think it's a little funny where it's like, you've been playing with Marcus smart all season. Who's a brilliant instigator. And now it's like, yeah, this guy can like teach a college and Draymond is like a masterclass, like Ted talk instigator level. And so how do they stop from like getting tricked by that stuff? Cause it, like, they just felt like they got tricked in, in game two because Draymond knows he's not going to get thrown out. Yeah, I think it's just stopped responding. And this goes back to a season-long problem the Celtics have had, not just with opponents, but referees too. Like, they allow referees and how the game is officiated to creep into their heads. Jason Tatum does it probably more than anybody. Marcus Smart, ironically, does it as much as anybody. They, they've got to find a way not to respond when Draymond kind of during dead ball situations, you know, shoves an elbow into your chest or a forehead into your chest. Uh, Tatum got kind of sucked into that. Grant Williams kind of got sucked into that. My thing with, with Draymond, and I, I still can't believe this happened. Like, you know, what is Marcus Smart doing pulling Draymond away from from? Yeah, let Brown? it go. Like, let it, like, let that, that happen. Go. Yeah. Let, it let go, that happen. Let him swing on him. Like, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, yo, Draymond, he'd kick your ass right now. I bet you couldn't do anything to him. Like, you got to instigate that. Like Jalen, I'm sure Jalen would have taken a punch for for the team. Absolutely, <laughs> he would have taken it yeah. and said and said go. I mean, I, look, the referees discussed that for a little while. I'm sure it's, you know, they'll never admit to it, but I'm sure they were thinking like yeah. we cannot call a double technical here. We absolutely cannot do it. Um, yeah. But like if that had gone a couple steps further and Draymond had advanced on Jalen Brown and shoved him again, they would have had no choice, and Draymond would have gotten tossed. So. I mean, Marcus, what do you, you should, you of all people should know that. <laughs> right. You yeah. Let, let that stuff go. <laughs> Social media and uh, various commentators were to quote uh, the, I think you should leave brilliant Tim Robinson sketch show. I think you should leave. We're, we're quoting the, uh, the sketch in which the character says, ah, he admitted when Steve Javi came out and said, <laughs> you know what we do here is, is when somebody already has a tech, we keep that in mind. And uh, that way we don't, uh, kick someone out on a soft tech. And people were kind of up in arms in this. Meanwhile, it, it feels like that's how we've always wanted postseason play to be refed is with a little bit of wisdom about, you know, no one wants to see a player get kicked out. What's your opinion of of Javi's take and the fact that uh, Draymond really seems to understand how far he can go after that first tech and really pushes it? Javi doesn't really add anything to me. Like, he's never... <laughs> I mean, he's never, he's never going to disagree with the referees right. ever, yeah. ever, like, ever, never like, going to do it. Like, and even in, in, and I'm not, I don't know, I don't watch the NFL as closely as I do the NBA, but even the NFL, the, their official, unofficial refs, like they, they disagree at times with, with mm -hmm. what the call yeah. is on the field. Like I, I, it's like a drinking game. Like if Steve Javi doesn't disagree or agrees with the ref, take a shot. Like it's just, I, I just don't under, I, I don't get any value out of kind of what he's doing unless he's going to find some way to disagree with the refs. Like the idea that Draymond gets special treatment, 
you know, I just remember something Ron Artest told me, and I think he told other reporters this years ago, where he's like, you know, early on Ron's career, he kind of went out and just fouled everybody. Like, he yeah. was just like, he was being overly physical. So the referees at some point had to decide, do we call him for six fouls in 10 minutes or do we start letting some of this stuff ultimately go? Draymond's kind of taken that that track. And yeah, you know, I, I think his, his, his defensive credentials, his all-star credentials, his championship credentials, whether we like it or not, it has kind of given him more of a leash than say like, you know, Daniel Tice has when he's out there. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I think it comes with, with being a player uh, of that caliber. I, you know, I think he, there should be a limit to how far he can go, but I mean, giving Draymond the benefit of the doubt, that just happens when, when you're a star player on the flip side of it, guys, like, I mean, Jason Tatum gets the benefit of the doubt sometimes on yeah. drives to the basket. Steph Curry gets the benefit of the doubt. It's just, it's just different types of benefits of the doubt that you get when you're a star player. Draymond gets to be more physical. Draymond gets to get away with screaming at referees. I mean, he doesn't yeah. talk to referees. Uh, he yeah. screams at referees. He does scream. It's, it's wild seeing him do that. But I guess that's what happens when you've reached the level Draymond has. Well, Steve Javi would tell you, like, you know, it's a it's the way he screams. It's just different because the referees aren't calling it technical I can't, foul. I can't with Javi. You know, I can't. I, I like Steve. I like Steve, but I can't with him. I can't. It's just like the second he comes on screen, I know it's going to be some kind of unabashed defense of what happened on the floor. My favorite Steve Javi move is they bring him out and the refs are deliberating. You know, they're at the they're at the the table right, and they're looking at the play. And so they go to Jeff. They go to Steve Javi rather, and they ask him what his opinion of the call is and what it should be. And then Steve Javi just vamps. Until the call is made on the floor so that he can agree with it. Because the last thing he needs is to get boxed into an opinion that's immediately going to be overturned by the ref. So he's just like, well, you know, uh, what I like to do here is I'll look and I'll see. uh, And then the call stands on the floor. Yeah, and I agree with that. That's the right call there. (laughs) You want to keep it. It drives me fucking crazy. He's he's no different. He's no different than a coach that wants another job immediately that's on TV. Like, I think, I remember seeing James, <laughs> well, I remember seeing James Borrego after he got let go in Charlotte on on one of the ESPN shows, and, like, he was just pulling his punches every step of the way on, on some yeah. of this stuff. And I get it, because Jimmy wants a, another job at some point in the NBA, so you can't just go napalming uh, different teams. Like, you never, you're not going to get, what, what they need to find is the Stan Van Gundy of referees, someone that has no right. interest in ever working right. for the NBA ever again <laughs> and is perfectly happy is calling out yeah. something awful. God, it probably, sadly, it probably is Scott Foster once he's done, right? Scott Foster come in there, just blow it up. Like, just say, like, you know, F this guy. Oh, that's really like, interesting. That, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. What, would, what would Scott Foster do? Because Scott has been given so many, like, he gets all the great assignments. Like, he did, did he, he win really game does. seven of the conference finals? And he d- he's doing a couple of finals games in this one. So, would Scott Foster, you know, blow up the NBA by becoming the stand of, of referee opinions? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You mentioned that Ime is just such a blunt guy, right? I wonder after game one, if you got him alone, if he's like, yes, like we got what we wanted out of those possessions, right? With Derek White yeah. taking those threes, Marcus Smart taking those threes. I mean, Al Horford's a good shooter, but those other guys are very inconsistent. If he's like, yes, we like we're happy with that because Jason Tatum made the right play. In game one, right? He got all the, he made the right passes. Like, even though he shot mm-hmm. horribly, like his playmaking was fantastic. But those three shot 15 of 23 from deep, mm-hmm. right? So I wonder if Ime would be like, 
I do actually think we need to adjust some of the way that goes. And then game two is so ugly. I don't know how you even judge that because they just gave the ball away. But I wonder if he if Ime's actually comfortable with the shots that they got in game one. No, I think he's real comfortable. Uh, I, it reminds me, you know, before the series, I talked to some assistant coaches that went up against Golden State in these playoffs. And I was talking to some people in Dallas. And one of the things they said was like, look, we, we probably would have lost that series one way or the other. But we had so many wide open looks in these games that we just didn't make. And if yeah. we had made those shots, whether it were coming from Brunson or whoever else was was yeah. open at that time, or Maxi Kleber, we would have been in a better position in this series. The Golden State defense, one of the things it does, whether by choice or by accident, is it leaves certain guys wide open, just wide yep. open. You know, and that's yeah. just kind of the the way their defense is built. So, you know, Derek White is not some lethal three-point shooter, but if he's wide open on the perimeter, you want him taking that shot. Al Horford is an improved three-point shooter this year from the last couple, um, mm-hmm. but if he's wide open on the perimeter, you want him taking that shot. So I, I I, get the sense that they were thrilled with the shots that they were getting. Now, they weren't quite as open in game two, and that's a credit to Golden State's defense, but if they're there for them in game three, whether it's Horford, Grant Williams, Derek White, they want those guys shooting. The Warriors are going to keep throwing that junky defense at Jason Tatum. Keep trying to mix, uh, get into his head with a second defender kind of sliding over or behind him, doing all sorts of different things to kind of mess with him. Somebody is going to be open. And the Celtics, outside of like Robert Williams, they're built to have guys shoot that shot, including Daniel Tice, who made, up, I think, one or two in game one. So I, I think they're happy with with the shots that, that they've been getting. You mentioned Robert and uh, his play has been so instrumental over the course of this regular season in catalyzing the, the Celtics and allowing them to turn from a up and down team to a, you know, really one of the best teams that we've seen in the NBA recently uh, since January. He looked, he, he obviously has been dealing with uh, injury all postseason and he looked really labored at times in game two. Any sense on where he'll be for game three? If he'll be available, what his status is? I think he'll be available, but he's laboring. Like he, I mean, look, he came back from knee surgery after a yeah. month. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's legitimate. Crazy. Like he came back from knee surgery. And look, in hindsight, and it is kind of Monday morning quarterbacking. Maybe they should have kept him out of the first two games of that Brooklyn series. They were up two zip, or the last two games they were up two zip, and it really wasn't a huge need to bring him back um, in that game three. But that's, of course, hindsight. Um, he's not going to get any better. Like, it's just not going to happen. He's he's going to be able to give them whatever he can give them over 20-ish minutes, and that's the best you can do. And I, look, I think it's remarkable that he is able to do that. One of the things, yeah. to bring it back to Ime, like, so Robert Williams in recent years has had something of a reputation of not being willing to play through pain. Like, it was just there. Like, people talked about it in Boston. Like, he, ankle sprain, knee soreness. He was out for long stretches. Why? It's why that contract um, for a player of his talent seems so manageable because they didn't know how long mm-hmm. he was going to be able to play. You know, Ime from training camp on found like 700 different ways to call Robert Williams soft. Like he did. He was, <laughs> he, was he kept saying like things like Robert's got to be tougher, got to play. Like even when you weren't asking about Robert Williams' pain tolerance, Ime would bring up Robert Williams playing through pain. Like he would find a way to weave that into a discussion about Robert Williams. So, and look, I think that paid off. I mean, I, I talked to Rob about this uh, early in the series and He's like, yeah, you know, he may question my toughness over and over again, you know, early on. And and that has that has an effect on you. So, 
you know, Robert Williams being questioned early on has kind of put him in this position where even though he's probably 70% of the player that he is at his best, he's still able and willing to go out there and give them 20 minutes. And look, he's effective in that time. Like he had a couple of block shots. He's not yeah. as physical and as strong with his lower body as he could be, but he's still a presence that you have to account for if you're Golden State when you go to the rim. Yeah, it's cr- it's crazy how he's a gamer now, right? Like he just is like he's a yeah. guy that like I mean, Marcus Smart fell into his knee last night and I yeah. you know, he limps he gets up slowly, he limps up the floor. He's like I'm okay, I'm okay. I, he might have blocked a shot on the next play or he had a good defensive play or something. And and it is just out of, out of character from what you heard about him leading up to the season, but I do wonder like I like look, if they win a championship, I guess it's it's going to be worth it. But I just, man, I, especially with young, with young players, like the idea of rushing them back from that meniscus tear and and maybe he ends up being fine. And maybe I'm just being a wuss about it. But like, I just like, I fear for like the future of his career be, based on that quick, like you said, a month after knee surgery, they didn't just clean it up. Like they, they removed part of the meniscus. Like that's just crazy to me. Yeah. It's definitely a concern long-term. Um, I, I don't, I don't think the Celtics or Robert Williams' team would have done the procedure if they weren't sure it was going to be safe for them in the long term. I mean, it does help that he has a long-term contract. I mean, that certainly helps. If he was going to be a free agent, we might be having a different conversation. But, um, you know, I, I wonder, every time I see him dragging that leg, I wonder if this is like, is he further injuring it? Like, is he going yeah. to have to have another surgery this offseason that's more significant that might keep him out for the first couple of months of next season. Um, the Celtics say no, that it's just a matter of playing through pain, but I mean, he is literally a game time decision every single day, every yeah. single game. He's a game time decision. And and that tells me that that knee uh, still has some problems. He is Chris Mannix, sports illustrated writer and host of the crossover NBA show. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been great. Anytime guys. Every day our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. It's time for Take Survivor, the game where only the strongest take survives. Joining us today, he is an NBA writer for The Athletic, a podcaster for The Athletic. You can hear him on Sirius XM NBA Radio, and you can hear his movie takes on the podcast Cinephobe. He is the greatest ad reader of all time in podcasting history. He's Zach Harper. Zach, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Draymond, you can't sell dick pills like I can sell dick pills on a podcast. Oh! I dare you. I dare you. He is a stand-up comedian, one of my favorite stand-up comedians, the creator and host of the Never Seen It podcast. His comedy album, Happiness, is out now. He is Kyle Ayers. Kyle, how are you? Hello, witty riff to introduce me. Bang! <laughs> Boom! <laughs> I really should have thought of something there. Uh, he's one of my favorite stand-ups, truly. 
uh, and a writer uh, who's appeared on Crashing, Night Train with uh, Wyatt Cenac, Two Dope Queens. Uh, he wrote on Run the World on Stars. He is Clark Jones. Clark, how are you? What's up, man? I'm high off the movie Top Gun. I'm ready. Let's go! <laughs> Imperialism is coursing through my yes. veins. I love it. Hey, listen, Imperial, we don't know what country or nation they attacked at the end, so Just the it's enemy. fine. Just the enemy. Hey. The, their, their faces were covered, so yep. it had to be a white country. <laughs> Look, it's all about the countries we attack along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. If they were brown, right. we would know them to a detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he is a stand-up. Again, one of my favorite stand-ups. Watch his Comedy Central special out now on YouTube. His Celtics got run over in game two <laughs> of the NBA Finals. And he's also a writer for my uh, streaming show, All Caps NBA. He is Mike Malloy. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. Obviously, uh, <laughs> things could have gone a little better for me yesterday, but we still won in San Francisco. I'm fine. I love I love the use of uh, me and we when, yeah, when I talking I about the I Boston Celtics. Hear. I didn't believe in them. They would have never got this far. And to be fair, it's not illegal to steal in San that's Francisco true. anymore, so that's okay for him to incriminate himself. <laughs> Folks, uh, welcome to Take Survivor. Here's how it works. Three rounds, three prompts. At the end of each round, you all will be voting on the worst take response to the prompt. That person will then be ejected from the island. The person ejected from the island, though, is still in it. They remain part of our voting jury. And as we move on in the rounds, they will listen to the prompts and they will continue to vote on what happens when we get to the final round, the championship round of Take Survivor. Everybody in the jury will be voting for the winner. Don't worry. I'll repeat all this again. Are we ready to go? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Our first question. And we start with you, Kyle. Jurassic Park, uh, the new, the latest Jurassic Park film was a Jurassic Park domination comes out this Friday in theaters. We can't wait. I love dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Kyle, what's the best dinosaur? What is the best dinosaur? I think you can't overthink this. You don't want to overthink these answers. It's a simple answer. Everyone knows it is. It is the Velociraptor. It is the best dinosaur. I don't want it. It's not the biggest dinosaur. You know what it is? The only dinosaur to persevere all of the Jurassic Park movies. Here's here's my criteria. I have a chart. My criteria for best dinosaur. Can you use doorknobs? (laughs) If you can use doorknobs, you're already on the podium. And you know what Velociraptors could do? Understand the podium. They're so smart. All excellent reasons. The Velociraptor, uh, not only that, it gave its name to an entire NBA franchise. Yes, the Jazz. Uh, Mike Malloy, what's the best dinosaur? In my opinion, it is the Brontosaurus. Ooh, big, big vegetarian energy. Well, and because it's it's Irish. Um, No, it... uh, I just think that a brontosaurus. <laughs> its name is Brontosaurus. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love the I love the idea of it just being a brontosaurus. Yeah. Being a, yeah. Yeah. A, a bar with a dinosaur like, bartender <laughs> would be. Yeah. Is that Brontosaurus? I just think I just think that a brontosaurus would probably be the best pet. A because it's a vegetarian. Okay. It's probably probably won't eat you. And B they just look. They look like kind of like they have like cow energy a little bit. Right. They kind of have that like, you know, you can make a nice little pet out of this. 
I'm just 80 foot tall. Uh, I love it though. I, Brontosaurus. I will be chuckling at that for a long time. Uh, Clark, best dinosaur. Listen, and uh, this is a, a survival key. I say the best dinosaur is the baby from the from the show Dinosaurs. Yes, it's the only oh. dinosaur with a catchphrase, and that's how you don't get destroyed when God resets the earth. Just have yeah. a, a catchphrase. Oh no! No one tell Clark the ending of that show. I mean, he got canceled, <laughs> but it wasn't like biblical. They, they got you canceled know. by a meteor. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I was gonna say they got hit it by was, a meteor. One of the darkest just, finales oh, in the history of television. Having the TV. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's like that in the Shield are the two most depressing. Oddly enough, just started rewatching the Shield. Wow, the Celtics lost really hit you, didn't it? Well, I know it did really. Mike sh- more shaken than he's uh, than he can even let on. Zach, best dinosaur. Oh man! Well, I recently learned via this completely CGI'd show on Apple TV Plus. Uh, David Attenborough let me know that T Rexes can swim. Whoa. They were swimmers, oh, yeah, I which that. I I wouldn't I wouldn't believe it, but I saw it CGI'd, so I ha- I kind of have to believe. It. But I'm going off the board, guys. Okay, it's not the T Rex, not the Velociraptor, it's not Brontosaurus, and it's not the baby from the show Dinosaurs. This is a risk here. I realize okay. this. It's Christopher Mad Dog Russo. <laughs> he survived everything. He has survived everything. A nasty breakup, a crazy rant on John Havlicek every other show, like caping for Bob Cousy, caping for, you know, Satch Sanders and everyone who played before the merger. Back when, back when, back when they were taking trains and carrying their sneakers and everything, back before they let the good ABA players into the NBA, all that stuff. And what has wow. he done recently? He's not withering away. He's on first take yelling at Stephen A. Smith, giving you great sports talk theater nonsense. But it's great theater. It's Christopher Mad Dog Rousseau, and I'm not just saying that because he owns the one of the channels that I appear on on SiriusXM. Oh well, uh... I gotta tell you. That man sure looks like if I tried to draw Skip Bayless from memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the uh, the takes are in. Let's go to the voting, folks. Reminder, everybody here on this Zoom, you are voting for the worst take. And who will it be? Will it be Kyle, who says, uh, it's the Velociraptor. The Velociraptor is the best dinosaur because it's smart. It's never seen doorknobs. a doorknob. Dinosaurs have never seen human inventions, and yet the Velociraptor is the only one that goes, I know what the fuck that is. I know what to do that. Will it be Mike, who says, oh, top of the morning to you. It's Brontosaurus, uh, a 22-ton uh, <laughs> cow with an 80-foot neck. I'd like to have that in my home, uh, taking shits the size of cars. Will it be... Will it be Clark? Who says, how about how about one of the darkest, weirdest shows of all time? It's the dinosaur show in which puppet dinosaurs uh, were in a traditional family sitcom, and it's the baby. Baby the puppet from dinosaurs. Or will it be Zach who says, ah, you know, you know what it is, Mike? It's got to be Chris Mad Dog Russo, who, who loves Bob Cousy, uh, has some kind of undiagnosed speech impediment and is still doing it after all these years. Uh, votes are coming in now. Let's look at those. Zuri, what do we got? Do you think he loves Bob Cousy because he grew up with him? I think that's what it is. <laughs> because he was his older brother? <laughs> <laughs> they do actually kind of look what if that's What they if that's the reveal similar. is that Chris uh, now reveals after all this time, actually my hidden older brother is 
is Bob Cousy. Of, of all the personalities, Kendrick Perkins isn't the dinosaur <laughs> of ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Just yeah, because he's in the T-Rex past. Underneath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the votes are coming in now, and by a margin of four to three, our first evictee from the island, Mike Obrontosaurus Malloy. Mike Malloy, uh, it's it's two losses. Two, uh, two tough losses in 24 hours for you, Mike. Mike, yeah. what do you have to say? This is bullshit. <laughs> okay. Now, now, you, now, now you gotta watch N- NYPD Blue. Nah, it's gonna be the <laughs> town. We wish Mike the best, and we move on now to our second prompt. Uh, this inspired by Rafael Nadal winning yet again Another French Open. This man is dominant on clay, and it's like enough already with the clay. We get it, Rafa. You're great on clay. Great. Uh, inspired by him, who? what's the best? Who or what is the best one-trick pony? They can only do this one thing, but you know what? It's actually great. Uh, let's start with you, Zach. Best one-trick pony. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to keep it in the basketball world. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say it's Big Shot Bob. Robert Ory. Wow. Like that all he like he didn't really do a lot a whole I lot. Like he it. was a very versatile forward early in his rocket days, but for the most part, he was just there to knock down big shots. He did it for the Rockets, for the Spurs, for the like he did it for everybody to the point where he just got the reputation where he would do it in a playoff game. He would be, you know, other players would be asked about it. They're like, yeah, that's big shot Bob. That's, that's what he that's does. That's what he does. So it's Robert Ory, whose second highlight, his first highlight is big shots. His second highlight, he threw a towel in the face of Danny Ainge, who was his own <laughs> Saying fuck out of here, Danny Ainge. I don't like you. Uh, I I love it. There's uh, one of my favorite dynamics ever in the in NBA history, sports history, is Big Shot Bob like like a cicada, like hibernating for entire games and for the entire regular season until the postseason, and even like most of the postseason until the last five minutes of game where he's just like, well. It's time to make my money. I'm going to hit shots. The big shot that he hit against the Kings where Vladi Divac tips it out to the top of the key and he knocks it down and ends them. So I wasn't watching the game. I yes. was working oh, at the gap, not gosh. to brag. I was working at the gap in the stock room. Ugh. And so I'm listening to the game on the radio shots. because it's like 2001 or whatever it was. And we didn't have TVs in, in yeah. stock rooms and break rooms. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So I'm listening to the game as I'm working. And so I just hear, because it's Sacramento, I just hear Grant Napier, now a disgraced uh, NBA announcer who at the time was doing TV, but you move on to radio during the playoffs. <laughs> yes. And I just hear, uh, you know, oh, he misses. Vladdy tips it out. Big, you know, Robert Ory with the shot. Good. And it was the most depressed, just good. And that, that's it. That's the call. And it just, it was amazing. So I just want to put that in there. I, I, love, I love Kobe's commentary after that. He was like, they really thought they was going to win after the luckiest <laughs> tip out. Like, you weren't even on camera. Yeah, right. The, right. right. They really thought they was going to win. I love Kobe, but that arrogance yeah. is, wow, that's like. Yeah. It's like you get a hole in one on the 18th, and then you're just like, oh, you really thought I wasn't going to make that? <laughs> yeah. Or someone else? Wow. My friend wow, wasn't going to get a hole in one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> little face, okay? <laughs> Clark, who's the best one-trick pony? There's a theme here. Uh-oh. <laughs> Lil Baby, the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> a white woman did his lyrics and got canceled, and she didn't even use the N-word. That is amazing. She did his whole verse from Wants and Needs. I think that's, that's stand-up. All he does is really rap fast, and like people still get amazed by that. I don't think he, he doesn't say anything. 
very uh, groundbreaking or remember or you know memorable. But he just raps fast and he keeps getting away with it. So I, put, <laughs> I say, little baby, we're going two for two on babies. It's a great take for today, especially as it's been revealed on social media this morning that uh, fastest rapper ever, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, Twista, is also a ventriloquist. <laughs> wow, what a dummy. Wait yeah, a minute, you didn't see this? You haven't no, seen it. I didn't, I, and I'm from Chicago. He, and he's like good at it. So, folks, your hobbies are important. I love to see hobbies. Uh, little babies, the answer for Clark. Uh, uh, Kyle, best one trick pony. I just can't wait to see Twista throwing rap to another racist Jeff Dunham puppet. <laughs> this is my puppet, Hard R, is the name of it. And he's going to be rapping over to it. Uh, okay, I got to. This one requires you follow me okay. a little bit. The, the, the one trick pony is uh, after 9 11, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> So if you remember after 9-11, Mark Wahlberg, before 9-11, Mark Wahlberg was in like Boogie yeah. Nights and like a bunch of cool movies yeah. and things like that. After 9-11, he's a rapper. He's in the Basketball Diaries, right? But after 9-11, Mark Wahlberg said he would have stopped 9-11. He would have stopped it. He said, he said mm-hmm. if I was there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have, have happened. happened. He would have been on all four planes at the same That's time. That's right. Uh, franchising his burger restaurant, and it wouldn't have happened. So after 9-11, every movie he's made looks like he's trying to prove yeah. he would have stopped 9-11. <laughs> That's a <good> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Planet of the Apes, Four Brothers, The Departed, Shooter, Two Guns, The Fighter, Lone Survivor. Every movie he's made since 9-11 is him saying, I told you I could have done this. Was How does he do that? How does he do that in... Ted. The fire. Because <laughs> he's just stern. He just sternly has an attitude of dominance, even if it's unfounded. He would have rented a car uh, I, I love and stopped 9 11. I love <laughs> Max Payne. Who makes a Max Payne movie unless they're trying to prove they are irrationally confident I about love the violence? Idea of he's afraid of thunder in Ted, but he would have stopped 9 11. Like, just. It was a clear day. It was a nice two It was a beautiful day. Uh, it's an incredible, it's an incredible answer, and let's go to the voting, folks. Who will be the second contestant evicted from the from the Take Survivor Island? Will it be Zach, who says uh, Big Shot Robert Ori? That's the best one trick pony of all time. This guy did nothing but hit big shots. It's right there in the nickname. Every time he got open late in a playoff game, you said, "How could they leave Bob Horry open?" Or will it be a Clark who says, "Little baby, he tricks y'all." <laughs> Guys, just rapping fast, and you're impressed by this. What about the content? What about the what about the actual lyrics? What about the flow? Will you just care about fast rapping? Or will it be Kyle who says, "You know what? I never forgot. I never forgot Mark Wahlberg's post 9/11 oeuvre and the stuff that he did, which is basically Mr. Tough Guy. I'm gonna save the world all by myself, even if the world is is uh, talking to a, a animatronic teddy bear." Folks, Patriots Day, Mojave, it's pain and gain. Okay. <laughs> and, and here we go. The votes are coming in now. Uh, I can't wait to see who the answer is uh, this time. My favorite one trick pony, gosh, uh, if I had to, I don't, gosh, my favorite one trick pony uh, personally, and honestly, Rafa Nadal is pretty great. He continues to to put uh, strands of hair, tuck them behind his ear, despite the fact that it's that rough. hair fell it's out rough. five, six, seven, even eight years ago. I respect the hair tuck, which is a, another aspect of, of Rafa Nadal's one trick poniness. Here come the votes. 
Oh my god. Even the guys in roll in the Rolling Stones think Rafa Nadal's hair is a <laughs> uh, uh and folks, it is oh it is a in a close vote. We have two votes for Clark. Two votes for Zach. And th- now three votes for the evictee from the island, second round evictee. It is Kyle Ayers. Kyle, sadly, oh, it is man. you. What do you have to say? Well, this is just, uh, I know Mark Wahlberg was up at 2.30 a.m. golfing, <laughs> so he could then uh, be prepped to come in here and do this. And you know what's not on his schedule? His family. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that brings us to the finals. And our final prompt, it is Zach versus Clark. And the prompt is, this is inspired by uh, Phil Knight, of Nike fame having his bid for the uh, Portland Trailblazers rejected. Listen, billionaires are a part of our world. Elon Musk continues to say, uh, I'm not buying Twitter because my stock price of Tesla continues to go down and I don't have enough money now. Uh, So I'm not going to buy it at this price. Uh, So billionaires are out here. Who's the best one? Who's the best uh, uh, big business mogul? Who's the best hedge fund billionaire? It could be fictional or real life. Who is the best actual billionaire that we enjoy? We enjoy this one. Uh, and we'll start with you, Zach. Zach, who's the, who's the best billionaire? I, I'm, try, I'm trying to Long figure out. Long silence I'm as to, we all try and figure I'm out just, if I'm there's actually a good one. I'm Clark here, and I'm trying to think of a baby that is a <laughs> mogul, and I can't think of one. <laughs> I, I'm at a loss here. Oh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm blank here. I was going to try to pivot. I'll stick, I'll stick with my answer, okay? He's the newest billionaire. Well, I don't know if he's the newest billionaire, but he's newly a billionaire. He was always coming. And during the second half of... Game two between the Warriors and the Celtics. LeBron James tweeted, might be on a podcast soon, maybe my own. So I guess he's starting a podcast as part of, you know, Spring Hill or Uninterrupted or any of the many businesses that he has cultivated from just being a kid from Akron. He's not supposed to be here. Strive for greatness. Whatever hashtag you can throw into it. But I'll just say it's LeBron James because he's still a billionaire that is mostly liked which is hard to do when you're a billionaire. There are a lot of people that dislike him, but he is mostly liked. He has a massive social media presence. I will say LeBron James. I, 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 LeBron. I, it's a great answer. He's been with us since he was 16, 17 years old and has, has uh, yet to mess up in a way that is devastating, unlike many other celebrities. And here he is joining the Billionaire Club, LeBron James Clark. Who's the best mogul? Picking the best billionaire, that's like picking my favorite police officer. I know, <laughs> it really is. It unless really is a tough me, one. I don't like it's them all. A all one. of them can suck a dick unless they <laughs> unless they give me out this traffic ticket or paying for a house. Um the 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 greatest mogul who goes by baby. Baby. Brian Williams from Cash Money. Baby. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Handrub himself is the greatest Why mogul. He dated him? Tony Braxton. He can't grow hair, so he just tattooed a five-point star on it. Not even in the game. <laughs> Somehow, he made more money off Lil Wayne lyrics than Lil Wayne. Like, what can he do? What can he do? You never quoted. They made an a album together, Wayne and, and Baby. You could buy the version mm-hmm. with just ran- Wayne rapping. Like, and he still made money off of it. I can't, I can't beat that. I can't beat that, baby. That's three babies in a row. Every interview he Damn. shows up to, he yells at someone and just like, and then walks yeah. out. Like, it's very impressive. It, it, yeah. 
Dude, the, the highest Breakfast Club video ever. Y'all finished or y'all done? That makes zero sense. And 80 billion people kept watching it and quoting it at brunch. I love it. Well, folks, uh, it is the final round. And to to remind everyone here in our jury, we are voting for the winner. We are voting for the winner uh, on the prompt. Who's the best mogul? Will it be? Zach Harper, who says LeBron James, he just uh, he just made it to one billion, and it's not a fake billion based on like stock that no one yeah. knows like actually how you value it. It's a billion dollars based on his actual liquid assets and his ability as a businessman. Or will it be Clark, who says, "Call him baby, call him Birdman." Yes, I did go triple baby in in Take Survivor. <laughs> I went baby, baby, baby. <laughs> it is Brian Williams, the king of the hand rub. I'm so that's, mad I didn't think of him. I'm so mad I didn't think of him. If that's you're a fun the greatest mogul. That's the greatest mogul. And folks, <laughs> and yes, he did. Yes, he did go triple baby. It's truly unbelievable. Uh, votes are coming in now. Mike Malloy has in the in the. <laughs> in the Zoom chat voted in the clear he that he's the going for Clark because of <laughs> specifically because of the triple baby move. And folks, you're not going to believe this by by a vote of seven to zero. I voted for Clark. It's Mr. Triple Baby himself is Clark Jones. Clark, uh, congratulations. What do you have to say? Man, I just want to thank all the babies in the world. I forgot Dub Baby. <laughs> you know, I, I had him as an alternate, but thankfully I didn't need him. His one trick is just shooting people and uh, fights. <laughs> but I'm glad I didn't have to go there. I want to thank everybody. Mike, Kyler, Zach Harper, Ryan, Hussein Zuri, my mama, uh, God, everybody, man. This has, been, this has been fantastic. Thank you. I'll wait on my hat in the mail. <laughs> And that's it for us, folks, on this rousing episode of Take Survivor, the game where only the strongest take survive. See you next time, folks. Goodbye. And that's it for us as a show. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And do not forget, subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Goodbye. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Drort. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8. Seven, it's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. Six, five, four, come explore Melbourne and the beaches. Three, two, one, it's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com.